Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. Bill Arnold with you today. Looking forward to our time together. I hope you uh, are doing well today. I'm looking at a passage right from Ephesians to get things started. This comes from chapter 1, starting in verse 20. God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Aren't we just thrilled that we know Jesus and that he is our authority and that we look to him for all power and um, might and mercy and love and forgiveness and he is the only name, Jesus is the only name by which we can be saved. So I just want to open today with just a, a blessing, a blessing on my listeners, a blessing on if you maybe didn't get enough sleep last night or you're uh, disturbed or troubled by what's happening in the world, I just want you to know that I want to bless you and I pray that uh, you have a, a, a full day of knowing that God loves you and, and uh, is caring about you and I just pray your cup runs over. Um, I just want to be very mindful and prayerful today as we get started. I'm, I've invited my uh, friend, Dr. Greg Heddington, to come on. We're going to chat a little bit about just friendship and chat a little bit about uh, uh, what's going on in the world, and then we're going to do some teaching on the book of John. So I figured that'd be a great way to start the show. Uh, Greg has uh, uh, been teaching the Bible for, I don't know, probably a couple, three decades maybe, and he's... Uh, something like that. Something like that. There he is. I haven't even brought you on yet. You're talking. I love it. And... <laughs> <laughs> Usually I do the big intro and then you come in, but I love the it's fact nice you just intro, jumped in. Well, thank you. You know, when you know someone, as long as I've known you, you could just sort of interrupt whenever, which I love. <laughs> so there goes your intro. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill. Hey, do you mind if I brag about you a little bit? Because I don't really Keep know what your listeners know about you. Keep it short. Okay. Uh, Bill and I have been friends since the 80s. He was an excellent up-close magician back in Houston. He can fool you. And... Um, he, uh, I don't know if your if your people know this, but not only were you a uh, great magician, but you're a great banjo player and tennis as well. I played varsity tennis at Oklahoma State University, but when we played, Bill, you were you were more than enough of a challenge for me. And then, of course, you wrote and produced um, the should be pretty well known musical, a triple espresso, in uh, Minneapolis, and played for years in San Diego. Well, we've uh, the show. I mean, uh, has gone to a hundred cities in six countries. So God really uh, wow. allowed us to have uh, have twenty five years of doing that that show in a lot of places. So it's really fun. It's, yeah, it's fun to hear people laugh, and um, it's fun to be part of uh, the lighter side of life. It's uh, it's good. So no, our our friendship goes way back, and it's been nice to uh, the way God sort of knit uh, our relationship together when we I was living in Houston and working and. Um, I think I started going to First Press in Houston where you were teaching, and I thought, right. this guy is good. So, Thank you. Yeah, so it's, I've been around for a long time. And I just figured that there's probably some people with 
you know, heavy hearts today. Some people have got excited hearts, and there's everything in between. So maybe we just, uh, Greg, we can start by just reminding people of, uh, you know, who we are in Christ, and and our comfort comes from above. Right, and that was a great uh, scripture you started off with. My first thought today is the same idea that I believe all believers should live every day, which is Jesus is on the throne. I mean, Jesus was there in the very beginning at the creation of our world, which we'll discuss in in our lessons uh, in the book of John coming up. So Jesus was there in the beginning along with the Father and the Spirit, and he is still on the throne today. And today, we, some of us have joy, some disappointment with the outcome of certain parts of the election, but that never discourages us from being a leader, being the hands and the feet of Jesus wherever we are. You know, the word trust is 89 times mentioned in Scripture, and I like the way that Psalm 146, verse 3 expresses it when it says, Do not put your trust in princes or in any man in whom there's no salvation. Because when his breath is gone, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. So the question for all of us is, in whom do we trust? I also like Isaiah 40, verse 8. It says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. To the Hebrews, before Jesus made his historic visit to earth, this this Isaiah passage I, I just referred to, uh, meant to the Jewish readers that their scripture would stand forever. That's the word of God, and that's true, of course. But since we now know Jesus as the word, according to the Gospel of John, which he refers to Jesus as the word, that we know one day we will die. The statistics of mortality are irrefutable. Mm-hmm. And yet the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternal. And uh, we know from looking at the history of, of humankind that There's been civilizations that have lasted for hundreds of years. There's the Assyrian Empire, followed by the Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, Romans, and they all fell. I think about the uh, young man Daniel, who, along with many of the other best and brightest of the Hebrews, were marched 800 miles across the desert to Babylon after the fall of Jerusalem in 786 B.C. And for 70 years, those young men lived in Babylon as exiles. And God gave young Daniel the gift of interpreting dreams for the king Nebuchadnezzar, even as Daniel wasn't certain himself about his own future in this new administration. And in his first interpretation for the king, God gave him these words, which which gave Daniel hope, and I think are salient for all believers in the U.S. to remember, especially today after the election. Here it is, Daniel 2, verse 20. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Mm. Amazing. So Daniel has amazing. told us that God is in charge. He runs the show, and in the mysterious ways in which he works, he determines world leaders, even though this side of eternity, we do not always understand those changes. Mm-hmm. You know, I was wondering if some of the listeners have you know, had long uh conversations with friends today, if you've called friends, if you've reached out and just because you've wanted to connect with people, which is always a good thing. And I often uh, think of this quote, uh, Greg, this is a a guy I did a little bit of um, Bible study with. He's passed on, he's gone to be with the Lord, but his name was uh, Walt Hendrickson. And he, um, he, he said this, he said, God makes you an incredible offer. You can give your life in exchange for the same thing for which Jesus spent his life, people. People last forever. For good or bad, they are eternal. 
Spend your life helping them prepare for eternity. Don't give your life to mediocrity. Life is too short and the issues of eternity too significant. That is so good. And I know it's, um, it's something that I just am reminded of when I come into the studio today. Is like, I get to be behind the microphone today declaring the Word of God and to be letting people know God loves them, has a plan for their life, and wants you, if you're listening, and have never come to faith in Christ, to make today that day of decision, that day when you say, I want to put my hope and trust in the living God, not in anything else, because this, this world uh, is so temporal. And I think it's C.S. Lewis that said, um, what isn't eternal is eternally out of date. Mm. Yes, that is so good. Well, Bill, I've got just a couple other comments on this if you Great. want to. Uh, oh, I'd love to hear them. Because it, it's really, I, we do need encouragement. Um, uh, but as we heard from the Scripture, life is not random. God actually sets things up because he is sovereign. Empires rise and they fall, but Jesus is on the throne, and he cares for us. The Lord wins in the end, so he's the one in whom we put our trust. And we are leaders in his kingdom to bring others to him. Now, we know that we live in this time called the now and the not yet. In other words, yes, the kingdom of God arrived on earth when Jesus invaded, and the Holy Spirit has been put into the lives of Christ followers ever since. So we live in the now, but we also live in the not yet, because the kingdom of God will not be fully realized until Jesus invades again and he will return. But, Bill, you'll just give me one little minute. I'd like to give one last scripture and then a concluding thought on, on the election. Please, yeah, yeah. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18. Fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And I think we know there is more going on in this world and always has been going on that we do not see than the things that we do see. So finally, regarding this election, we are always to pray for our leaders in government, whoever they are. They are sinners just like us. They need the Lord's wisdom, guidance, and grace. And let's remember that we are blessed beyond measure in this in this country by our Lord, and from my experience of doing international ministry in Cuba, Central America, and Africa over the last several decades, I know that the kind of freedom we enjoy in America in every aspect of life is just an unrealized dream for the majority world. Mm, wow, that's so interesting. Greg, I'd love to have more uh, more information on some of the ministry opportunities you've you've had and some of the places you've gone, and I know our, my listeners would love hearing those stories. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, my, my wife, Carrie, and I, Carrie well, is working with the Episcopal Church. Yeah, l- let's take a little break, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about that. Does that sound sure, fair? Sure, you bet. Good. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest, my longtime dear friend, and we'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome to the show. My guest is Dr. Greg Heddington, my friend, and we're uh, just chatting about his uh, ministry career. And I know your wife, uh, Carrie, has got quite a bio, 
and you like your bio was more like you were weren't you like assistant greenskeeper at a country club or something? <laughs> that was my aspiration <laughs> to do that. <laughs> because yeah, Carrie uh, went to Yale, Harvard, and Oxford. Yes, and, that's yeah. right. So you guys have got quite a quite a ministry together. Let's hear about some of the uh, some of the projects and some of the places you've gone and things you've done. Right. Well, Carrie is an evangelist, and she's also an adjunct professor at Fuller Seminary out in California. But she and I have, um, we, we do ministry together. I've been married now eight years. I'm, I'm married a little late. Um, it's probably, yeah. Well, one of the things we do, we minister, in, and I can't mention the name of the country because it's in Africa, and it's not a Christian country, and a number of the churches have been closed. But mm-hmm. We are involved with a ministry there, and one of the women is considered the mother of that country's church, so she's pretty significant. I, I visited once. Now it's a little bit too dangerous, but um, all the workers there are putting their lives on the line for the Lord, which is certainly not what we experience in our country. Um, I'm also involved with ministries in several Central American countries, but I mostly focus on Cuba, and I have for the past 22 years. Locally, Carrie and I have been involved uh, running a weekly, well, excuse me, a week-long sports camp in Dallas in the summer for about 200 underserved kids from ages 7 to 18 in South Dallas. It's not a Christian camp, but it does teach some good principles of uh, trust, respect, discipline, and hard work. We have a little charitable organization that we uh, run this to, but we also... Uh, have a one-day football combine for about 25 of these high school seniors who attend the camp. Mm -hmm. And we invite coaches and college administrators to attend the combine from um, all over the Midwest. And from those colleges, this is amazing, Bill. I I still can't believe it. We have been able to send on scholarship, not not because we have the money, but scholarships from the colleges, 62 kids to college is the first member of their family ever to attend college. Wow. Wow. That's a double wow. Yeah, it's exciting. So those are some of the ministries we're involved with. Um, but, uh, oh, well, I should, there's one more slight thing. Every day we're involved with some ministries that do serve the poor and unemployed in South Dallas, which ends up being about 1,500 people every day. Now, again, we help organize. We do not, because of COVID, we don't go down there personally, but we've got a number of volunteers that are involved with feeding 1,500 people every day, mm-hmm. which is just, you know, what a joy. Yeah, no kidding. Now, maybe you could offer some encouraging words to people that are wanting to take a step of action to get more involved. I mean, the schedule you just talked about is is pretty uh um pretty aggressive it's pretty um um you you get out and do stuff 22 years to cuba i mean this is a vision god must have put in your uh, on your on your heart well it it was and you know i mean my comment to anybody who wants to get involved with anything is always just kind of minister wherever you are no matter what you're doing anybody can can just start you know here's i mean here's an example of evangelizing people get so nervous, they get their toes curled up when they think about evangelizing. I just, here's what I do sometimes if, when I haven't been in a restaurant a few few uh, months now, but at the end of it, I'll just say to the waiter, um, you know, I'm praying for people today. How can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. I have never had a waiter turn me down. 
they might say, well, not right now, but a little bit later, or they'll share something briefly. And that is something we can all do. And it doesn't have to be in a restaurant. It can be just anybody we know. Just ask, how can I pray for you today? And people always want to give an answer. Yeah. Greg, don't you find, too, just an everyday conversation, you're going to meet somebody or you're going to run into somebody that you haven't seen in a while, and they're going to give you a report on their life. And it's going to maybe involve something very difficult, very challenging. And it's a complete open opportunity to say, uh, I would be I would be happy to, to pray for that situation and just plant That's... that little seed. I think sometimes people think evangelizing, you got to go from A to Z in, the, in every in every situation you're in. Right, right. That's an excellent idea. Yeah, we run into people all the time, and it, kind of a an exit comment is, how can I pray for you? That's really good. I like that. And it's it's our duty to, to be praying for each other. And, and I, I just want to ask any listener that's got, you know, something on their heart right now that they're just, uh, they're needing prayer for. You can send me a text. I, I've got a, a prayer list that's quite long right now, and I'm happy tonight to uh, go home and pray for you, 877-933-2484. I'll even pass some of these prayer requests on to you that come in this hour, Greg, and you and Carrie can uh, pray for people as well. That would be wonderful. I, I just think people need to know that we have their back, that God is there for them. God is there to meet you in your time of need, and the community, the body of Christ wants to be there to come alongside you. Um I'm just amazed that, you know, you and Carrie, you've got each other, so you're isolating at home. There's a lot of people who are isolating, and they're away from family and friends, and and they're just uh, alone and and, uh, a little bit bit sad, a little bit lonely, depressed. Yeah, it's it's a tough time for everybody. And uh, I'll tell you, that's why the the words, the Lord is on the throne, is just the words, he's in control, he is sovereign, and we just, we take all of our needs to him, whatever they are. And he gives us a lot of promises that he will be there to meet us in our needs. Mm-hmm. And we need to remind ourselves of that and speak that truth to our heart. Because sometimes I can say that when things are exactly the way I like them. And then when things change, it's a little bit harder to say, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. We just, you know, it's almost like we needed a class in remembrance. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. mean, isn't that true? I mean, the funny thing is we know all these things, but it's like every day, every Every message we get from whether it's television or other people or media is not going to be drawing us closer to the Lord. It's much easier to be drawn away from the Lord. So we we just simply need to remember the things we already know. Mm-hmm. Just to be absolutely intentional every day. And, you know, your spiritual disciplines, you've been cultivating those forever. But, I mean, you have your quiet time in the morning and you have uh, your your time of studying God's Word. I mean, you've been a student of God's Word Ever since I've known you, which is one of the things that I thought, I want to be more like Greg. <laughs> well, thank you. And, uh, Bill, you are a great example of so many people. And I, I just, I could not be any more happy. You know, I mean, really my greatest thing that I could say is that I am your friend and you're my brother in Christ. And that I'm so proud of you and I'm so blessed. Yeah, well, you're awfully nice to say that. I mean, it's, uh, you, you're encouraging me a lot today, so I appreciate that. Oh, thanks. So we got a... Uh, break here in a couple of minutes, but I, I know we're going to talk today a little bit about the book of John. Um, yes. And there is, a, give me a little preview of where the lesson that we're going to have today is going to come from. Well, it's going to be really the intro. I'm not getting too much into because my, uh, my goal I'd like, uh, if it works out with you, is to once a week just kind of continue this. That'd be sweet. And uh, so it's just, I'm going to do a little bit of a comparison with the Synoptic Gospels, the other three. 
and then we'll do mostly just uh, jumping into a lot about what John was like, what was he about, and what his uh, what his themes were. Mm-hmm. I, I I will love that because I love the Book of John, and it seems that oftentimes when a new believer uh, comes to faith, the first thing they say is, "Go read the Book of John." Yes, yes. A uh, young life was really important in my life, and that was uh, I didn't realize until after. I'd been giving talks in Young Life for so many years that we were actually, the whole thing had been laid out according to the book of John. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, some of us are slower than others. Right, right. <laughs> You're right, though. I mean, it does, he hits, and it, and you'll see as we get into this, it's all based around the seven signs, which he calls miracles, which all point to who Jesus is. Yeah, it's going to be a, a great study. I'm looking forward to it. So how should I get prepared? Just get my Bible open and flop it open and get out a notebook? Yeah, yeah if not, not if somebody's driving. but No, um, of course yeah, not. If, of course not. If they're, <laughs> <laughs> if they're home, yeah, in fact, if you're ready there at home and you got a pen and, and notebook, I'll, I'll give you some uh, some notes. Well, I like notes, and I take notes every day when I'm on the air with guests. And you do such a nice job of just being organized, and I appreciate that because you do Roman numerals and everything, which I think is really cool because not, not a lot of people do Roman numerals anymore. Well, you know, when you got a little bit of a Roman history back about a couple of thousand years ago, you think you, think you do because you, you can say a few Italian words, and you figure, well, let's see, Rome, <laughs> Italy, isn't it, the Colosseum, isn't it all connected? Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And I love the way John starts. And we'll uh, we'll get back to that, uh, I think, after the break um, here. But um, I, I want to just uh, be thanking uh, all the listeners for um, all the support that you've given Faith Radio. And it's been interesting with uh, some of the, you know, when, Greg, you talk about just being in a COVID situation and not getting out very much. And I know that represents a lot of people. Radio has become much more important as people go about their day and they have uh, maybe less contact with the outside, uh, with the outside. So they're, they're spending more time listening to the radio, which I find absolutely wonderful. Mm. And I just uh, pray that you're getting uh, fed uh, by God's word. My, my hope is on the show that you are uh, hearing uh, God's word declared. Um, You know, there's 7 billion people in this world. I don't think you need another opinion. I think what you need is the, the, the declared word of God. Amen. Yeah, so that's what I love to bring into my listeners, and that's why I thought, well, what a great day to, to have Greg Heddington come on and, and teach a little bit on the book of John. I love the book of John. I know my listeners are excited, too. So grab your Bible, get a notebook and a pen, and we'll uh, take a little break. When we come back, we'll get uh, digging into the book of John with my friend and guest, Dr. Greg Heddington. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. We are uh, have Dr. Greg Headington as our guest today, and I'm looking at Psalm 119.18 that says, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. A great way to start. Let's open our eyes that we can learn lots, Greg, from uh, John. Let's start in chapter 1. Thanks, Bill. And I really appreciate your comment about we don't need more opinions. We need the truth, and that's what we're going to get from John. Awesome. <clears throat> well, welcome to the first lesson in our study of the Gospel of John. The very first sentence in John is one of the two most famous opening lines in all of Scripture. The most famous opening line in Scripture, and perhaps in all of world literature, is the first verse of the book of Genesis. And how does that book begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <clears throat> now, before we get into our study in John, let's look at a few other famous opening lines from literature. Bill, do you mind if we go down to a little bit of literature? English? Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're taking notes, Roman number one Famous opening lines from novels. Okay. Opening lines of novels can set the stage to, for the rest of the book. And as we'll see in the ones we'll look at, the novels I choose will date me a little bit because the literature that was compulsory when I was in high school has dramatically changed. <laughs> All right. And this is not a lesson in English literature, although I did major in English. But just for fun, let's see if you can identify which famous novels these opening lines came from. Even if perhaps it'd be nice, you you knew the author. All right, I probably won't. I probably, won't. I probably won't, but go ahead anyway. Okay. Yeah. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Okay. That was The Tale of Two Cities. By Shakespeare, yeah. By, uh, close, uh, Charles Dickens. That's what I meant. I meant Dickens. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah, of course I, I knew that. I know that. Num- number two, Call Me Ishmael. Moby Dick by okay. Herman Melville. Okay. In fact, that was the only novel in school I just could not finish. I don't know if any of your readers ever did. If they did, they're a better person than I am. Uh, number three, you don't know about me without you've read a book by the name of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, but that ain't no matter. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Cool. Okay, the next one's a little tougher. They're all been tough bright- for me. <laughs> okay, this is a, this was tough for me, too. It was a bright day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. That was 1984 by G, uh, George Orwell. That Again, that really dates me. We passed 1984 a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And let me just give one more, and then we'll get to it. Uh, this last line I'll cite, because it's it's the most famous first line in literature, and Many book clubs have begun from this, with the, using this book. Here it is. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. That's Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Hmm. Now, what's interesting about each one of the opening lines, it offers a miniature sketch of the entire plot of the book. Now, in a much more profound way, the first sentence in the Gospel of John is a miniature sketch of the entire plot of his gospel. And just in case anyone is unclear about why John takes the time and effort to write this gospel, he clearly describes his purpose for writing his thesis statement, if you will, late in the gospel in chapter 20, verse 30, when he writes, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of God, and that by believing, and that's a key word in Greek, believing, you may have life in his name. Roman numeral two, comparing the four Gospels. Here's a question. Why do we need four different accounts of the life of Jesus? It's a good question. I hear someone asking that question. Yeah. If anyone were to ask you that question, here's one answer. It's because Jesus is not one-dimensional. He cannot be contained in just one book. After all, he is God in human flesh. I think it's also important to compare the gospel books because each gospel writer has a particular audience in mind to whom they are writing. However, each gospel is also intended for anyone who wants to know God through the person of Jesus. Our central idea for this lesson is come and see that Christ is the Son of God and the source of life. Come and see that Christ is the Son of God and the source of life. So first of all, we'll look at the Gospel of Matthew. Oh yes, the word gospel is the Greek word evangelon, which means good news. And in the Greek world, it usually referred to the good news of a military triumph, like when the Greek army won a battle against their enemy. That was good news for the Greeks. Mm -hmm. However, by the end of Jesus' earthly life, the writers of the New Testament will give that word a new meaning. And ever since then, gospel has referred to the good news of not what Jesus said, but what Jesus did, which has opened up the way for anyone to know him. Roman numeral three, the Gospel of Matthew. His name had been Levi when he worked for the Roman government as a tax collector. He gave the Roman IRS a bad name, just like all ancient tax collectors gave a bad name, because they all ran a scam of overcharging people as much as they could possibly get away with. And Levi was especially hated by his own people, since Levi was a Jew who had no problem working for Gentiles, or, as the Jews called the Gentiles, the dogs. Of course, that was behind their back. But Levi had been listening to a Jew Jewish rabbi for some time, possibly months, we're not sure, and was impressed with his teaching. So when Jesus asked him to be his disciple, Levi immediately got up from his tax-collecting table and left his profitable business to follow the teacher. He had to give up something to follow Jesus, as must we all. Mm. Uh, but he gained so much more, as do all of us who follow Jesus. Matthew's main focus in writing is for his fellow Jews in order to prove to them that their, this teacher, Jesus, fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies of the long-awaited Messiah. He explained that Jesus is a king, although not in a political sense. And so Matthew focuses on the teachings of Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And as you read Matthew, or you'll see the phrase over and over, you have heard it said, and then he quotes the Old Testament, but I say to you, and then he quotes Jesus. And he does this throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The key verse of Matthew and the first, really, first 17 verses in his gospel are key verses because they're the genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Father Abraham. Now, each of the gospel writers was given at least one symbol by the church, which was etched in many of the pieces of art, beginning around about the 9th century A.D., and the symbol for Matthew was usually a king, sometimes a lion, representing King Jesus. And Matthew's gospel, just if you're into dating, was probably in the early 60s it was written. 
Roman numeral four, the Gospel of Mark. His name was John Mark, and he was not an eyewitness of Jesus nor a disciple. He was a writer for Peter, and Peter passed on his eyewitness account of the words and actions of Jesus to Mark. Therefore, Mark's accounts are especially vivid when recounting incidents involving Peter, and Mark does not hold back from describing the weaknesses of Peter as well as the mistakes of the other apostles. Peter was probably so chastened by the fact that he had denied the Lord three times that he he wanted to be painfully honest about his and the apostles' shortcomings. Mm. Another characteristic of Mark is that he writes with a sense of urgency, almost as if he's got a knife on the back of his neck. So not only is his gospel the shortest, but he also uses the word immediately 41 times in his writing as he races through his gospel in 16 chapters. Mark has an, um, a fairly abrupt ending to his gospel, so possibly the enemies of the faith who were always lurking about caught up with him. We're not sure. His writing was completed in the middle of the late 50s. His intended audience was the Gentiles, so he explains some of the Jewish customs throughout. And his typical symbol, later given by the church, is of a man, which represents Jesus' humanity as a humble servant. His key verse is 1045, which says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to be served but to serve, excuse me, I'll say it again. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Roman numeral five, the Gospel of Luke. According to Colossians four fourteen, we know Luke was a physician, a close friend of the Apostle Paul, and the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. His is the best Greek in the New Testament, which reflects the education of an intelligent man, which one would expect from a doctor, even though only a pharmacist would be able to read his own handwriting <laughs> if Luke were to write prescriptions. Mm-hmm. It's a little Bible humor there, yeah, I, like I it. hope. I like it. I laughed. All right. Yeah. His audience is universal, that is, both Jews and Gentiles. And in the first few verses, he explains that his intention is to write down, quote, an orderly account of the life of Jesus. As a doctor, he's particularly interested in miracles, angels, demons, the virgin birth, and the care with which Jesus shows to the downtrodden. The key verse in Luke is 19, verse 10, which says, quote, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. His date for writing is in the 60s A.D., and one of his symbols is the ox. Oxen were common sacrificial animals, and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is an important emphasis for Luke. Now we get to Roman numeral 6, the Gospel of John. Here's a question. Nice build-up, by the way. This has been very interesting to hear the differences. Okay, good. Glad to hear that. Oh, yeah. So here's a question as we start with John. If someone asks, why are four Gospels necessary to tell the story of Jesus, how do we answer that? Well, we have four gospel accounts because Jesus is not one-dimensional. We mentioned that earlier. Notice that I say Jesus is not one-dimensional, present tense, Mm -hmm. instead of was not because Jesus is alive today. And that, of course, is why on Easter morning we say, He is risen. So what's the answer to why we need four gospels? Well, as we said, he, He cannot be contained in just one book. 
Jesus invaded earth as God in human flesh. That's just incredible. So, who was John? John was the youngest of the 12 apostles. Remember that the Greek word disciple means learner, and the word apostle in Greek literally means one who is sent. So John was an apostle. He was also a fisherman with his older brother James and their father Zebedee. And we don't know much about their finances, but we read that they do have hired help. So it's possible that their fishing business was doing okay. Mm -hmm. But James and John give up that business to follow the teacher. John writes to an audience of people all over the world, and the life in the Mediterranean culture is a curious mix of the Jews who were of course, subjugated under Roman rule, and the Romans, who were heavily influenced by Greek culture, which preceded them by a few hundred years, and those two cultures mixed together is summarized by the shorthand word Greco-Roman. So it's primarily to the Greeks and the Romans, and then to a lesser degree to the Jews, and those are the three groups that John is writing his gospel to. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, the purpose for John's writing is found in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, where he says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, excuse me, and that you may believe in him and have life. It's not exactly clear, but John probably wrote his gospel sometime in the late 80s, or early 90s A.D. Mm-hmm. Then he wrote his three epistles. Then, after being imprisoned for his faith on the island of Patmos, he wrote Revelation. And John, just in case you didn't know, had been exiled to the island prison of Patmos by the Roman emperor Domitian, but would later be released to return as pastor to Ephesus. Now, according to church tradition. John lived possibly into his 90s, which was considered extremely old at the time, and when he could no longer walk, again, according to church tradition, he was carried on a stretcher by his friends in Ephesus, constantly saying to whomever he met, love one another, love one another. Now, we notice that John speaks of himself in the third person in his gospel out of humility and because he wants to distance himself from what he experienced with Jesus to show that he's, he's reporting objectively. When he refers to himself with the title, The Disciple Whom Jesus Loved, some scholars believe that title, which is mentioned six times in his book, was inserted perhaps after his death as a way to honor him because he was much too modest to have written those words himself. However, even the words, The Disciple Whom Jesus Loved, may have been inserted later that expression is no less than the Word of God, because all Scripture, we know, is inspired by God. Mm. Greg, can we take a little break? You bet. Awesome. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest. We're going through the book of John. We're just getting started. Loving it. Take a little break. We'll be right back. show. Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest, longtime friend, and we're digging into the book of John. Greg, this has really been uh, fascinating. I've, I've been hanging on to every word. Well, I'm glad to hear that. That yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Where do we pick up? 
Let's see where we picked up. Um, we were talking about, what was it, Bill? We talked about the two cultures. Oh, yes. Um, here we go. Um, because John's view of life was from such a different perspective, a kind of cosmic and eternal view of Jesus, the church gave John the symbol of the eagle, which is a symbol of the highest inspiration. Now, I don't know. I've never tested this, but some people say an eagle can look into the sun without blinking. Bill, have you ever seen that happen? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, nor have I. If no. any of your listeners have, please have them call the show. That's very cool. It is. Yeah, I like that. So that's the perspective of John looking down. So the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels, and the word synoptic, nice little word you can drop on your friends. We should all use that maybe once a year. The word synoptic means to see together, and those three Gospels often refer to the same events, but add different little particularities. After all, if you took the testimony of three different people to today, and if you saw something or you, you were told about the same event, they would each include certain details which they noticed, but others did not. And so it is with the Gospel writers. However, John's style is quite different from the other three. Whereas the other three writers speak in short phrases and parables, in John's Gospel, Jesus engages in monologues and dialogues without a parable in sight. Now, at first glance, the three synoptic Gospels seem to pack everything into one busy year of Jesus' life, but this is where the Gospel of John has been incredibly helpful because he describes a ministry of three years where Jesus takes several visits for the feasts into Jerusalem, which has helped scholars to think it was a three-year ministry period for Jesus. And, of course, that's a critical element that we glean from the book of John. John fashions his gospel around seven miracles of Jesus, which John calls signs. He also reports Jesus engaging in seven significant dialogues plus seven I am statements to point out to people who he is and what he came to do. Now, in four particular places in John, Jesus makes claims that he is, in fact, God in human form. Those chapter numbers are easy to remember. I always need, when it comes to math, I need easy numbers. Me too. There we go. Easy numbers to remember because they're all even numbers and they follow one another. So I don't know about you, but this is big help for me. I learned that some of those even numbers are in John chapters 8, 10, 12, and 14. Those are the ones in which Jesus equates himself with God. And speaking of numbers, I mentioned the number 7 a few times. And numbers in Hebrew numerology were often symbolic of a deeper meaning. The number 7 is especially prominent in Scripture and appears over, wouldn't you know, 700 times. It's the Hebrew number of completion and sometimes means perfection. For example, God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he what? Rested. He rested. It was complete. And that's why the seventh day in the Hebrew culture is the Sabbath, the scriptural day for rest and worship, just as the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For believers, we designate the Sabbath to be Sunday, since that was the day, of course, of our Lord's resurrection. But even if we did not rest on Sunday, Bill, as you said before, we all need to take at least one day of the week to do some rest and worship the Lord. So we find that the number seven is prominent in John's Gospel. And overall, it's a more, quote, continuous narrative than the other three Gospels. 
Now, when I was 13 years old, I need to always try to, I've been told I need to be a little more vulnerable sometimes when I do my teaching, so I'm doing my best. <laughs> okay. All I, right. I, made a, I made a public commitment to Christ when I was 13. <clears throat> I was taking what's called a communicants class at the First Presbyterian Church in Oklahoma City. And at that point, I pledged as much as I could to as much as I understood about Jesus. I certainly was limited in my understanding of him, but it was still a pretty good day because, first, I expressed my faith and became a member of my church. And second, I also received the promise that I would go to heaven when the Lord, to, with the Lord when, when I died. So it's both in one day. It was a two-for-one day. I love it. It was an excellent day. Now, at the end of the service, all of us 13-year-olds were given a new Bible and told this would be our daily guide to walk in the ways of the Lord for the rest of our lives. I distinctly remember thinking, so this is the book I'm to keep reading over and over for the rest of my life? This is really going to get repetitious and boring. Well, first of all, every 13-year-old in the world is a knucklehead, <laughs> even if they have no idea that they are knuckleheads. Yeah. But secondly, now, after all these years, I have found that reading Scripture has been the most precious reading I could ever do. As we read it throughout the years, we constantly receive new insights and wisdom that we did not see even the last time we read. God has been giving us his living word with the intent that the reader will fall in love with the author of life. And that's what some of us have done when we read Scripture. Roman numeral 7. There's that number 7 again. Roman numeral 7, the importance of Jesus to the world. Now, this will be my last point, and with such a vast subject, I can only touch the surface about the importance of Jesus to the world. So let's make it uh, perhaps, shall we say, seven reasons for the importance of Jesus to the world? Okay, we've got to do this in three minutes. All right. Number one, <laughs> approximately one-third of the world's population today considers themselves to be followers of Jesus. Number two, although it may prefer to overlook it, the Western culture is firmly rooted in the Christian faith centered on Jesus. Number three, the followers of Jesus are not restricted to a single culture or social level, and there are millions of people who have followed Jesus from all over the world who have been transformed. Number four, the teachings of Jesus have proven to be extraordinarily durable. Throughout the last 2,000 years, the teachings of Jesus have frequently been found to be in opposition to brutal regimes and influential ideologues from other groups. Number five, English, the most commonly spoken language in the world, has been enormously influenced by Christianity. Where are we? That's number five. Let's go to number six. Uh, in fact, uh, he's worshipped. Well, Bill, it's just, let me just go to the very end here. Okay. Let me just give this. I'm yeah. going to close with I'm this quotation. Putting from pressure a, on you. Yeah, yeah. That's all right. A, a great leader and follower of Jesus. Here, here's the final question. Our comment, quote, evil may so shape events that Caesar would occupy the palace and Christ the cross. But one day that same Christ would rise again, split history into A.D. and B.C., so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Hmm. That's from Dr. Martin Luther King. Wow. So powerful. You know, I think that... That this passage out of Hebrews 4, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, mm. is the reason that we every time we pick it up, it just comes alive in our hearts. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. 
Greg, it's been a great, uh, great hour. Thank you so much for uh, making time for me today. My pleasure, and I hope I get to come back. Oh, of course you will. And even your, I want Carrie to come back, too. So oh, we're going to have her back on the show. She's even better. Yeah. Have a great rest of the day, Greg, and I will uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bill. Yep. Dr. Greg Haddington has been my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our series on prayer. I think we're in about week two or three, and our guest today is Dr. Ian Paul from the other side of the pond. He'll be joining us uh, for the full hour with Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself. After a short break, we'll be back with our prayer series. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.